You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 458, Hello Trees, Hello Flowers, it's the Pop Music Garden Quiz, Wiping Bow Selector and Little Britain from Memory, and Nothing Sells in Pop Music Like the Past. That's all coming up after the voice of the beehive, and Don't Call Me Baby. About a year or so, in 1987-88, this band were never off the television. MTV loved them. Uh, with a lineup of some of the blokes from Madness and two photogenic sisters from California, they had a string of hits in that year. Um, I love the ambiguity of the title. It could be, Don't Call Me Baby, or Don't Call Me Baby. Um, from <laughs> 1988, number 15 in the UK, Voice of the Beehive, and Don't Call Me Baby. I like that very much. It's it's It seems to be a bit of a distant cousin of Manic Monday. It, it, it has got that similar yeah, jingle jangle and, si- and single, yeah. similar, um, similar sort of a world, slightly world-weary, eye-rolling female vocal, I think, which I, I enjoy. I didn't realise that they had, there was a madness link. That is, that is news to me, but uh, that's not necessarily news to the people that listen to this podcast. So I finally feel like I'm catching everybody up. Up. Well, it was before you were born, so uh, yeah. Well, yes, but then so is everything, isn't section. it? It would seem. <laughs> yeah, true. Hello, hooray, and thanks for joining us for the uh, Parish Council podcast. It's episode 458. I'm Terence Stackham, and call her baby at your peril. It's Juliet Harris. Although, if you want to call me B-A-B-Y's in the Rachel Sweet song, then I'm I'm more than happy with that. Maybe I should have picked that as a counterpoint to yours. But anyway, hello, everyone. Well, as politicians uh, tend to say, we need to move on from last week's <laughs> yes. quiz. Let's, let's be clear about this, indeed. 
Last week, Juliet answered questions about Juliet with a what <laughs> must be said a modicum of success. <laughs> yes, no, uh, it was it wasn't a, an enormous triumph. No, no. So this week we return to a somewhat established format That's of nice. me like playing that. you, the listener, and you, the Juliet, five short clips of hit singles all on a theme, Ooh. and I, th- I thought it would be cheery. Um, if to look outside the four walls, many of us have been um, inside over recent months and look for keywords linked to the patio, the terrace, the courtyard, the area outside the back of houses. Five songs, all with that common theme of things you might find on that bit of land at the back of a house. Um, the clue now, Julia, I'm going to I'm being very generous this week. You are. Clue- yes. Makes up for last week. Half, half. Anyway, carry on. Four of the um, words you're looking for for the theme are in the titles. One of them is in the band's name. Um, the, the middle one, you may have problems with. It was 17 years before you were born. People of my age will know it instantly. Um, so there's um, five points mm. for the theme and five points for the artist, or in one case, the song, if you kind of get my drift. Yes, I uh, do. Um, very generous, <laughs> very generous portions from me, I think, uh, this week. Yes, as they well. were. Well, unfortunately, uh, sorry, Karen. No, I was going to say, I think the middle one, I played a longer bit for that one as well, number three, in case well, you need. But it, you, don't tell me you're struggling over number one. I am. I'm struggling with that, Terence. I can't place it, I'm afraid. Okay. It was Tears for Fears. Sowing the seeds of love. Ah, of course it was. I yeah, I I that that song was unfamiliar to me for a very long time, and I've only recently been enjoying it through the somewhat peculiar video that has made its way through Top of the Pops 1989. Fair enough. I'm all right on everything else though. So so lovely so don't worry too of, much. Okay, it? lovely yes. video on social media of Kurt Smith from uh, Tears for Fears singing "Mad World" with oh, his twenty-year-old yes. daughter. Have you seen I it? I saw that. Yes, it was lovely. lovely. I thought it was yeah. so nice. I, I I'm a fan of Tears for Fears. I'm a supporter of them generally they seem to be okay although it's a shame when they put the one that couldn't really sing in charge of singing i feel that was a that was a mistake in their latter years but apart from that anyway having having bummed out on the first yeah. one i can rattle through the rest um we've got Hong so Kong you Bar- say again yeah indeed i can though Hong- we'll be the Hong- judge of that julia <laughs> uh bride <laughs> comes before a mild yes. stumble um susie and the banshees and their hong kong garden Unfortunate lyrics that render it more or less unplayable uh, these days, full of sort of racist stereotypes. Yes, it is a bit of a general pity, awfulness. Really. And I think also with Susie now, the swastika thing um, again. Yes, uh, it's not looking great in retrospect. Not, is it, not a really? good look. Um, no. Number three, the one I thought you may have trouble with. Flowers in the Rain by The Move, the first ever record played on Radio 1. Song played on Radio 1 in 1967. They've never <laughs> received uh, a penny in ro- any royalties to this day. Um, they All of the royalties have gone to charity. Oh, gosh. Well, fair enough. That and is that's uh, that is because when the singer was coming out, their manager, Tony Secunda, did this promotional wheeze where he sent round loads of postcards promoting the song. But unfortunately, um, he, he decided to put on it a cartoon of Harold Wilson and his secretary, Marcia Falkender, in um, a compromising p- position. Oh, and dear. of course, Harold Wilson threatened to sue and um, to stave off basically going bankrupt. Uh, the move and their, their management team agreed that all the royalties from the track that the postcard mm. was promoting would go to um, various charities. And it still does to this day. Well, I mean, that is that is laudable, but um, not not a great business decision by their manager. It has Very to be said. But, but, yeah. but anyway, yeah. uh, the next one is for music from my youth. So thank you for that. That is Supergrass and all right. 
Uh, yes, number two in the UK in 1995, and they've um, you probably know this. They've they've reconvened. They're supposed they were supposed to be doing a load of festivals this mm. this summer. In fact, they're still lined up to do one at Windsor in in the late in late August. Well, let's see if that happens. I hope. I I saw Supergrass at a festival. It's the only time I've ever seen them many years ago. I I say it's the only time I've ever seen them. I was meant to see them when I was at university, and I say meant to see them. I bought tickets, and it was towards the end of my final exam period. So obviously. I was I was you know inundated with work. The housemate with whom I was meant to be going had finished his exams at this point. Um, we booked these tickets, and he knocked on my door on a Saturday morning, and I I opened it and said, "Yeah, hello, how are you?" And he said, "My mum's just called me to see if we enjoyed Supergrass last night." At which point, our eyes met over the tickets that were sta- that were pinned to my message board. So unfortunately, we didn't we didn't see them then. But I saw them at Witchwood Festival, which takes place on Cheltenham Racecourse. Oh yes. Each year, um, in I think it would have been 2009, and they the Super Furry Animals headlined on the Friday night, played one song, and then announced they were going to do the first side of their new album, oh, which would come up. Uh, which had come out the month before uninterrupted and then did a few singles at the end did not do a great job of headliners much i enjoyed them they didn't do they weren't proper festival headliners supergrass gave them a masterclass the next night in how to come on and do all of your hits with a couple of new couple of new songs and they were magnificent so i would thoroughly recommend supergrass as a live proposition they were great um finally to get back to the topic and to finish your lovingly put together quiz we've got lovely seal and his kiss from a rose so it was unusual. It stalled at number 20 in the UK mm. in 1994, but then it was used in the Batman Forever soundtrack. And the What's next year, that? in 95, came back again into the charts. Very unusual. It went to number four. Mm, it was a huge um, success uh, the second time round. But the Batman Forever soundtrack, by the way, is excellent. If if there are connoisseurs out there of, you know, long lost forgotten albums from the 90s and film soundtracks, it's got uh, Tracy Thorne um, and I think Massive Attack doing The Hunter Gets Captured by the Game. It's got a really good PJ Harvey B-side on it. It's 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 got Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2. There's some unexpectedly good things on that soundtrack as well as Seal. Probably got the theme of the quiz then. We had the seeds of love, Hong Kong garden, yes, flowers one, in the rain. One of your better efforts, I think. I very much enjoyed that. I'm sorry about my my crash out at the beginning, but um, that aside, um, that was a very well put together quiz. Thank you very much for thank you for all it is that you do. So <laughs> and then we had super grass and kiss from a rose. Yes, mm. so eight out of ten for you. Uh, star prize on its way, obviously. That's yeah. Very kind. Thank you. Is it is it a, a, a role of artificial turf? Yeah, we create a garden in my uh, in my front room because I don't have a garden. That would be very nice. Thanks for rubbing my nose in it, Terence. Or some wind chimes. They're the, they're the worst thing that were ever invented in the world, apart from panpipes. Wind chimes. Yes, that is true. All those oh. of panpipes. So yes, says I love that you're slagging off panpipes. Says the man that previously made me listen to uh, to a, a great deal of them as part of his Beatles panpipes quiz. But yes, panpipes and wind catchers and wind oh. chimes. Yes, signed to the dustbin of history if you will please coming next can we successfully purge the past wiping little britain off the map and that's right after foster the people
that's an enjoyably airy record, I think, without sounding like someone that should own uh, some wind chimes or a dream catcher. I do like records that that really kind of they they sort of open. They feel like they open the world out. I can I sound so hippie saying this, but there's so much space in that record. It really does feel like a wide open sky. I I, I love it. I love the sound of it. Um, that's Foster the People. I they were I think that album came out in 2011. I remember certainly bit but still working at the firm where I trained. And I really liked Pumped Up Kicks, which got a mm. lot of radio playing. I think we've had that on the podcast we before. Have. And um, so I bought the album on the strength of that. And it's really good. I really, really like it. It's uh, it's really, um, I, I, I'm surprised that he hasn't had more, because it's basically a one-man band. I'm surprised he hasn't had more success, actually, because I think it's, it's a great album. That's the opening track. And I think it's very good as an album opening track as well. That is Foster the People, and that is Warrant. I really like that. He has the most beautiful singing voice, doesn't he? Yes, he really yes. does. completely agree. I'm just having a look to see if there's a there's a new I say a new album out on the way. I know all bets are slightly off at the moment, but um, they're from LA. Um, Mark Foster, Mark is, Foster the, yeah. is, is the bloke behind them. Um, there's a lovely picture on the Wikipedia of them in suits, and they look like they look like sort of seven year olds attending a wedding. They don't. They've got look... a new lineup now, of course. I mean, that, yeah. that one of them left and is replaced the one yeah. that left with two, so they're a four piece now. Yes, the, the most recent album was 2017. So, so, and they they had um, they had a they had torches, which was the album that we we played that from. Supermodel in 2014 and Sacred Hearts Club in 2017. So, hopefully, fingers crossed, we should get something new from them fairly soon if they're going to keep up the same pattern. Because I would like to hear from them. Now, once again, uh, sounding holier than thou, well, this is my life's work, really. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, the, uh, the brother, Sir Terence. Yes, people. indeed. I, I felt a sense of unease as a teenager in the 1970s when it, mm. it, um, it, it was the television schedules were seemed to be full of awful shows, generally situation comedies that were built upon the most awful prejudices. Uh, at the time, I don't think I or we, I suppose, as young people, used words like racism or misogyny or homophobia they just weren't in the lexicon at the time um i just remember squirming with awkwardness at programs such as till death us do part and love thy neighbor which were based on the premise that if a non-white family moved in next door to you then there goes the neighborhood mm. and all the kind of grotesque post-colonial bigotry involved in examining and highlighting differences were played for <laughs> kind of part what, what, what the past as laughs now mm. as someone now firmly in my 60s it astonishes me that it's really taken this long for comedians actors and networks to realize that jokes in inverted commas um at the expense of people of color it's not actually funny at all in fact very offensive now this week jules We've had a maelstrom of white mm. presenters and comedians giving tearful apologies for their <laughs> racist portrayals in the guise of humour. Can we delete these performances, Jules, and then everything's all right again? Well, there's different there's different ways of looking at this, obviously. Um, this BBC News piece that you sent me, I find really interesting. Um, it's actually posted by Newsbeat, which is Radio 1's news arm. And I have to say, it's really strange. Some of the best and, and the most interesting and thought-provoking and clear and well-explained uh, news outputs at the moment come from the sort of young people's end of the BBC. News Round continues to be excellent. I, I have to say, I often and watch news round if I don't know what's going on yes. because it really boils things down in a very clear way. There was an excellent piece that I think I, I retweeted on my, my Twitter account the other day, Blue Peter, a presenter explaining to children what racism is. And that was very... Very good and very moving. And this uh, piece comes from Newsbeat, which is Radio One's sort of young people's news. So I'd so firstly hats off to the BBC for its news content being very good, I think, and very helpful for for younger people. And actually, for those of us who are, uh, despite your very gallant insistence that I am young, not that young, really. <laughs> so so that was you know that's very good. Um, what what this needs to be a piece says which is quite interesting it talks about the fact that gone with the wind has now been pulled and the the explanation i think the the latter part of this is worth clinging to here depicted ethnic and racial prejudices that were wrong then and are wrong today and i think when there are lots of people rending garments at the moment about the fact that 70s stuff m most obviously the 40 towers episode the don't mention the war episode has been pulled um 
people think it's been pulled because of the Germans. It hasn't. There's a no. line in it from the major that, that exactly. contains various racial slurs. I won't go into what they are, but they, the N word, the C word that wouldn't be acceptable mm. now. Um, and and perhaps wasn't acceptable then. And maybe that there's a there's a way that some people get around showing things. The the channel Talking Pictures, for example, sh- is showing a series at the moment called Rooms, which dates from the 70s. Um, that is it's it's a sort of a series of kind of effectively short stories set in a boarding house. And they have a little screen that they put up at the beginning that's like a sort of a it's meant to look like one of those old silent movie boards that they hold up that says what's happening now. That says something like this program is reflective of attitudes that were held at the time and and therefore there may be some language or some situations which we would find uncomfortable to deal with today so you think okay fine maybe there's a way that you can show these things and put a context up the biggest problem that i have with stuff like Little Britain and its sequel, Come Fly With Me, mm. was that that wasn't acceptable at the time. I no. remember when Come Fly With Me was on in 2010 and there were loads of complaints about it. Um, Ting Tong from Two Ting, I think, was one of the characters. God. And I just didn't, I couldn't understand. And that had blackface in it as well. And I couldn't understand why they allowed it to go out at the time. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's one thing. I mean, I like the idea that racism was never acceptable i think i think that is the attitude to take but that is i mean i can i can sort of understand where the debate was in the 70s and how some of those programs are a little bit more reflective of that but i think that it's i think that if it's stuff that is older maybe it's okay to put it up with a with a you know with a contextualizing type slide Stuff. Uh, there was no way that they should ever have been doing that in two thousand and, and and you know two thousand and onwards. That the Bo Selector man as well, mm. who basically set Craig David's career back twenty years with that stupid. I mean, when you think about the 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 you know with, with the stupid kind of a uh, sort of face, rubbery face. Mm. When you look at the people he was impersonating. The man and the woman that he gave the biggest kicking to, Craig David and Mel B from the Spice Girls, mm. both black. And and I, you know, I wish that there'd been more of an examination of that at the time. Um, I don't understand why anybody thought that blackface was acceptable from even from the 80s onwards, to be honest. When you look at some of the stuff that was on Channel 4, you know, you, you, the, you know stuff, stuff like Desmond's and, you know, the way that, you know, we, we, were, we were beginning to have kind of uh, sort of black black culture and and sort of our traditional white pop culture began to mesh with scar and things like that i i I don't understand why people thought that was acceptable at the time and all the political correctness gone mad people for stuff like little britain there's a very effective quote uh, from a, a girl from um, uh, Misha Fraser Carroll, who is sorry, a woman who is the opinions editor of Galdem magazine. That's the reason I called her a girl, because it's called Galdem, but she's a woman, mm. obviously, um, which gives her a platform. It's a very good website to the perspectives of women of colour and non-binary women of colour. And she said, growing up watching blackface on TV was really, really difficult as a young black girl. There's already a representation, lack of representation for black women in the media, and we don't see ourselves reflected. This kind of reputa- uh, representation added in insult to injury i just i mean there's another quote from a chap called uh, a comedian called raw coley who talked about um come fly with me being pulled and he said he remembered watching a stereotype of your your typical young south indian who works at heathrow but he says he doesn't think it should be um uh, airbrush from history he said i think it's important for me to still see that now and to keep that up with some sort of uh, historical context when i compare matt lucas's character to somebody like chabadi g who is azim chowdhury's character in the excellent people just do nothing it reminds me of how far we've come it makes me see that we were up against 5 10 15 years ago we weren't being given voices but now you see those characters everywhere that is a good point and i suppose that raises an uncomfortable point for sort of you know white middle class liberals like me that i thought that we put that in the we put terrible racism and inaccurate portrayal of, of, of people of colour in the past, in the 90s, in the 2000s but maybe we didn't, maybe obviously we didn't, I say maybe, there's no maybe about it, if people were growing up, of colour growing up and seeing that on TV 
I just think it's so horrible for people like that to have to sit through it. And, and everyone I've seen that is the political correctness gone mad brigade, with no exception, no exception at all, is a white male over over 45. And, and I just find it so frustrating that people lack the self-awareness to see that they are one of history's winners. Let's face it, John O'Farrell had a lovely phrase in one of his books columns once about how, you know, when he was born, he scratched off the lottery ticket of life and he had won with his white male in the western world and the person next to him scratched off their lottery ticket of peasant in in sub-saharan india and thought oh no and and i think one thing that that is so frustrating about the conversation i think the conversation we're having now is further on uh, i was listening to um afua hirsch who's the uh, guardian journalist amongst other things who was on the fortunately podcast yesterday and they said you know do you think that the conversation is in a different place this time around and she said it is over here in britain on the basis that over the last 20 years whenever there's something blown up in the news cycle and i get wheeled out it's been impossible for me to convince people that we should even have the conversation, that, that people wouldn't even acknowledge that there was a problem in Britain. And now there does seem to be, it's, you know, there's a, and I think there's a difference on this. People go, it's British going out correctness on boundaries. It was made years ago, blah, 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 blah. I think it's a sliding scale, but I really can't see how blacking up was ever acceptable. It's it's not a context thing, unless you were talking about the black and white minstrels in the 40s. But even then, sometimes maybe what was acceptable again shouldn't be acceptable now because otherwise if you're saying oh well if it was acceptable then what you're basically saying is that we are never allowed to progress and grow and move on as a society and i and and actually again this hits the real root of the brexit debate i think in the in that the brexit debate over in britain effectively split people into two two you know sort of two halves of people that were ha- that were happy with how things are now and the fact that people that are happy with progression and change and people that wish that things were once the way that they were and and again there is a fairly easily identifiable split in people that think that it is still acceptable for us to be watching things with blackface on and people that aren't and i just wish that people would be able to put themselves in the shoes of people like the woman from galdem and just think how horrible it is how mean and unpleasant it is for us to be you know for for not us but you know for people to be blacking up in 2010 and for people to be able to watch that again i think if it's something like gone with the wind that's a little different because slavery was never acceptable but there i think there is an arguable historical content with gone with the wind because it is a sort of a history film as well as a war film as well as a melodrama it's lots of things in once maybe that is worth watching as part of our history but for something that is a decade ago that people complained about then i don't see why we have to keep digging up that old wound why not if you really want to keep showing those programs why not show them with the offensive sketches taken out why not just put come fly with me or well i'm less defender or little britain why not put that up without the sketches in i just i don't understand why people can't try and see how upsetting and offensive this is for black people you know but uh, you know people of color bame people over here in britain i think it is and everywhere i think it's horrible and i just don't understand why people can't see how upsetting that is to people now and that for the defense oh well don't watch them then that's rubbish why why are you effectively saying that people can't have a choice in what they watch because you know because you want to be offensive about them i think it's i think it's terrible and i wish that that people that are the political correctness gone mad brigade can see that we're not you know that we me our so-called pc people are not doing it because we want to tell people off i'm doing it i you know i'm arguing for it because i think it's i hate the fact that people my age that grew up in similar backgrounds found something really upsetting because it was ripping it out of them. I think it's horrible. Of course, that, that woeful and dismal black and white minstrel thing unbelievably ran into the 1970s on mainstream BBC believe. television. And there, there was um, an excellent film that I think Spike, as one of the Spikes, I think it was Spike Lee made, that came out a decade or two ago that is worth watching, actually, in the context of this, which is called Bamboozled. And it was a little bit confused. It wasn't one of his best, but it was interesting about how a television network executive brings back the black and white minstrel show. And this is a black television executive. Mm 
to kind of show a context as to how you know how awful it is and it gets record ratings and the the executive then finds himself in this uncomfortable position of having to look at why people are still embracing it unironically Yes, now that Bo Selector fella. About mm. when I when I used to still sort of bother mixing in media circles, about maybe eight to ten years ago, I was at a, a media reception, and uh, on our table was the then kind of quite well known um, sort of talk show host Trisha Goddard, um, who is a woman of colour, and she was featured in this Bo Selector thing, which I, I must say I've never seen, but you know mm. she she was featured in it again, um, again. With, why why yeah? Why do you think again, Trisha Goddard was in? Yeah. And and Ryan Kelly wasn't exactly. And um, somebody um, on on our table was started talking to her about this, and she became visibly upset mm. um, and said it wasn't about her. And of course, this is something that we all know, but sometimes forget. It was that um, every day her children, then at primary mm. school, I think, and kindergarten, they were very young, were mocked and teased at school mm. um, about the, her portrayal, which was a, a big sort of rubbery, as you explained, kind of spitting image type um, head mask, but with huge lips. Yeah. Um, and that's what all the kids at school were going around um, mimicking. Um, talking about the, the, the then and now thing i mean two things two programs i wanted to highlight that mm. these days spike milligan is spoken of with reverence but yes, he co-wrote oh. and starred in one of the worst examples of racist oh, bigotry yeah. curry and chips it was called i'm not sure yeah, if you can still see it on youtube but you know have a go if you want it was so bad that even at the time which i think was the 70s that itv pulled it off the air uh, where he blacked up as a, a pakistani man with the accent and everything mm. um but bringing it more up to date, I, I, you know, I really don't mind being accused of pomposity because even if I am a lone voice and I'm, obviously I think I'm not, hmm. I can't alter my belief that there are still shows that are lionised today that yeah. should make viewers wince, not laugh. And I think, again, as we now look back on, um, you know, both selectors and Little Britons and so on, um, what merit is there in Mrs. Brown's Boys here in the UK? It's the top... T- top ranked viewer show um for audiences in the uk mrs brown boys it's supposed to be funny a man dresses up as a foul-mouthed irish woman Mm. who says four letter words um you know is it me is that funny i mean it's the most awful portrayal of uh irish you know older women Mm. um and but by the way, the controller of comedy for BBC One describes it as rip roaring fun. Now, this is where I'm just going to ask you, Jules, is this, again, a, a, an example of my pomposity? And, you know, is this just good natured fun? Or is that in a slightly different context, really just as bad as the other shows we've been talking about? Well, it's strange, isn't it? I've never seen the appeal of Mrs. Brown's Boys, but then members of my family, not my immediate family, but mm. more, more sort of you know, extended family, really enjoy watching it. I, on, on, I know. On the on the one side, I can see that there is a pantomimeish element to it. I can I can see the tr- I can see the tradition of the pantomime dame, but obviously with this twist that she's very foul mouthed. But I think this does. I don't want to get into sort of assessing the you know that I don't want to get in these kind of diversity stakes of this person's being more discriminated against than that person. But I think my again my issue with it comes back down again to rich white men, you know, taking off people people in society that aren't in as privileged positions of then and you know speaking as a strong feminist we you know we it feels like women are still fighting battles every day we'll still always be fighting battles every day for the foreseeable I would say and you know isn't it funny how you know and, the, and, and people are finding it funny that you know he it feels like he is mocking this old Irish mm. woman I and and I I don't like that so to go back to the point that you say about um talking about Trisha Goddard that's very yes. interesting and I and I, I've always had time for Trisha Goddard because she was a trailblazer on British TV and I think when we talk about uh, you know the sort of how unacceptable it is the way that black people are being lampooned black people particularly I think being lampooned on on TV you know as late as the as the 2000s you also have to put it into context that there are very few and there still are very few faces that are black on TV so it's not like you're you're mocking people that can really talk back because Uh, Again, to talk about the Fortunately podcast, um, a comedian called Miss London 
went on a little while ago i'd say she was a similarish age to me i actually came across her when i did um i did some stand-up i did a competition called funny women in i did went to the brighton heat in 2010 and there was a very unlikely pairing of her and uh, annabelle giles doing uh doing great. they worked very well together they were delightful the two of them it was lovely to meet them but uh, miss london was extremely funny and and still is and she and she now she does a bit of hosting she does voiceovers for channel five programs she does her own comedy she's on radio four quite a lot she always says she's the diversity when she goes on stuff like the news quiz and she talks in, in, in detail on this podcast and it's worth checking out this episode particularly in the current context and she talked about wanting to be an icon on tv for young for young black women and she said i'm the first woman that's on prime time tv since rusty lee and, uh, and 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 of course, Fee Glover and Jane Glover going. There must have been someone. Her going no. And she said the only. She said there is no female equivalent of Lenny Henry. And and when she talked about sort of uh, black entertainers, she talked particularly about entertainers. She said, well, Trisha Goddard. She she referenced her, but she said Rusty Lee, and there is no one else. And as she said, in terms of being a comedy entertainer, and they and they they were sat there sort of scratching their brains, and someone came up with Florella Benjamin, maybe. But it's just it's it's when you think about it, the fact that you would struggle to fill a hand with with black female entertainers that have had prominence on British TV uh, up until sort of now. I know Michaela Cohen has now got got you know sort of prime time things, but you know the pro it, one a decade is not quick enough, and if you're if you're then you know. If you're then in a position whereby you're a young black woman and you see people lampooning you with blackface on TV and there is nothing to balance that off. There is no, you know, you don't see people on, you know, sort of icons, comedy icons on TV. That is the context in which this is happening. It's not just that blackface is unacceptable because it's unacceptable. It's particularly unacceptable and there are no, it will never be acceptable, but it's made, it is magnified by the fact there are, there are very few um, up until this point, there have been relatively few black role models on TV for people growing up. Don't see themselves in certain contexts. Yes, you'll get loads of black actors in, you know, stuff that's set on. I mean, Top Boy, which started off on Channel Four and is now on Netflix, is very good. But it's set on a council estate with drug dealers. You know, that's not that's not positive, is it? That's that's playing to the worst stereotypes about some communities in South London. So so I think that's what people need to remember as well. That it's not just in a context of, you know, this comedy is teasing people and, and it's unacceptable. It's also in a context of a lack of positive representation for Bane faces generally. I think we need to really consider these things because uh, uh, final mention, I suppose, for Trisha Goddard is that mm. her slot on ITV was more or less uh, directly replaced by the abysmal Jeremy Kyle show. Yes, which it was, wasn't it? Oh, man. Taken off the air only only recently where, you know, vulnerable, often mentally ill people paraded and shouted at set against horrible, each other horrible. like some latter day bedlam. No, essentially any show, particularly in the name of comedy, comedy that sets out. Um, as its basic aim to humiliate, poke fun or denigrate, those shows have to move over and we have to be more intelligent, inclusive. And I think most of all, the the best word I can use is be more kind. Yes, that's exactly the word I was going to say. Let's just, you know, it's so unkind and selfish i think for i've got a friend that i like very much who very much collects old sitcoms who you know i still want to watch this great okay you probably still want to watch it but but you know how is this how do you think this feels to to young black people i you know just don't maybe it's just not this is probably the phrase that you could use for everything that's going on at the moment maybe it's not just about you mate Um, Coming right up, uh, nothing sells in pop music more than history. Um, Mm. That's right after this track. It's suggested by listener Steve Woolley, and um, it's really actually quite very relevant to what we've just been talking about. Um, It's the Devorns. Bloods right on the parking lot. Cops and other boys been shot. Mama worked for the house she got. Then the bank came along, everything she got. What's going wrong? What's going wrong? 
the school's been shot Now we all know what we got to say But everybody's scared of the NRA So grateful to Steve Woolley um, for suggesting yeah, this track. Yeah, absolutely. From he well, he suggests a track about once a year, and they're always an absolute corker. You I, know look, you, I look forward to his correspondence. Yeah, when you get a message great. from him about once a year, you think, oh, this is going to be good. Um, mm. They're from Chicago, Illinois, with all the best influences you could ever learn from Marvin Gaye, Curtis Mayfield. The new single uh, from the Devons, with quite the commentary on life today in America, "Blood Red Blues." It's brilliant, although I have to confess that when I first read the email, I misread it as the band Blood Red Shoes, so I might pick them next week. But no, that was that's brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Thank you, Steve. Here's a question. Who keeps buying these albums? In the UK <laughs> album chart in the week we record this, at number 16, Fleetwood Mac's Rumours spending mm. its 839th week in the chart. It's crazy, now, isn't it? Number 14, Say Hello to Queen's Greatest Hits, 896 mm-hmm. weeks in the chart. Beating them all, number 13, Bob Marley and the album Legend, which is essentially Greatest mm. Hits, 928th week in the chart. Who is buying or downloading or streaming these albums? Surely everybody who wants a copy of Queen's Greatest Hits has a copy or 
Is it that each new generation is discovering Fleetwood Mac Queen and Bob Marley? I think it's that. I think it's I think it's that. And also, perhaps at the moment, particularly, I mean, there's always an element of that in the charts. Perhaps at the moment, particularly, people want to. Uh, interesting that it's a download charts as well people may maybe are in a position where you've got someone who used to have these albums on vinyl or on cd they decided to get rid of all their stuff ages ago and at the moment in the times that we're living in maybe people are just reaching for comforts maybe people are reaching for the music from their youth maybe people want things that they know maybe it's that yeah, I mean, I mean, incidentally, just outside the top 20, ABBA, greatest hits, 944 mm. weeks um, <laughs> on the chart. Um, in fact, a very sizable percentage of the top 100 albums are taken up by albums in their uh, multi-hundred years in the charts, from Simon and Garfunkel mm-hmm. to Billy Joel, and even Elvis Presley uh, is there. Jules, yeah, there does seem to be an insatiable demand for heritage acts and their hits for 50, even 60 years ago. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Now, there is a movement, uh, an online (laughs) club, called Pop Music Activism that presses the case for underrated or forgotten albums. Um, That's a good thing, I I think. But there must be loads of music I would like and I've missed, if, Mm. like Pop Music Activism, only someone or some algorithm would curate it for me. and that's helpful. But the fact that the album charts are friendly full of acts who haven't released anything of substance mm. in decades is, is a curiosity. I I fully agree with you, with your um, answer for this. Uh, you know, but is it that today's music is lacking in character, sort of mm. here today, gone tomorrow, that keeps us all clinging to the greatest hits of the past? Yes, I think so. I think well, I think there's an argument for that, and and. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I at first thought maybe it was just me. I mean, I think as regular listeners know, I'm very into quizzing and actually quizzes have kept me sane during lockdown. There's a website called <laughs> Sporkle, which I use a lot, which I really like. And um, people, it's user generated quizzes and there are some great ones on there. And someone has posted up sound clips. I love these kind of quizzes where you get 50 sound clips and each sound clip is, I'd say, about 10 seconds, about six to 10 seconds long, depending on sort of how gettable it is. And there's a quiz playlist that has has had stuff from each year if you see what I mean and and so so I was going through and doing these quizzes and needless to say I was I was reasonably okay at the 80s I was rock solid on the 90s out of 50 I got sort of 40 plus for most of them guess the guess you know the, the name of the song um and it's as the 2000s went on, I started off really good and then I started to sort of fade away. And I think that how closely you follow music depends upon what's going on in your life to some extent. So, of course, at the 90s, I was in the 90s, I was at school in the 2000s. I was at Sitphorn College and university. And then I was working but living at home with a large disposable income. And I was still I was 26 when the decade finished. So so I was still a young person at that point and therefore without many other responsibilities I could still devote a lot of my time to keeping up with music if you see what I mean. 2010 onwards my scores just fall off a cliff and the only things that I can get are stuff that really would have been everywhere or x-factor winners curiously I just can't seem to to (laughs) get anything else so that's the point at which my finger left the pulse you can almost see it happen in 2020 2011 2012 and and so so maybe to some extent I did like I did try and think maybe this is just me not understanding pop music anymore and there's some pop music that's coming out that's really good and really vital i even if I, I enjoy summer storms' stuff even if i don't enjoy some of it i understand what it's saying and i understand the need for it and i understand that loads of people love it uh, we've talked about ed sheeran on the podcast before i'll never quite get the appeal of ed sheeran but but people are people are buying it in their in their bin loads aren't they frankly let's mm-hmm. face it but it's it's strange it's it's maybe it is this idea of course don't forget at the moment that we're not um that not a lot of albums are probably being made at the moment or being released or perhaps crucially being released in the same way as they ordinarily would do. So maybe there is more space to fill. I don't know. There might be some of that. But 
you know, it, it, it seems like music is really fractured. And I think that a lot of this is digital and streaming. And I think we've talked previously before about there is almost so much music available online and for free as well. I think that that damaged, you know, the, 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 the sort of illegal downloading really damaged a lot of people. And now, of course, streaming, there's a broken record campaign being run by Tom Gray, formerly of uh, uh, Gomez at the moment, um, in conjunction with the various sort of music organisations here that points out that artists get so little money from streaming services and maybe to some extent we will eventually get what we pay for i.e not very much because you know because it won't become the industry won't become sustainable on that basis i don't know so maybe people if people can stream things maybe it's a certain demographic that are still buying records and the records are reflective of that i i i don't know it's it's really strange there are so many different things at play here it's almost impossible to unpick but maybe this is the reality and this is the the proper market. Maybe the 1970s and 80s where Elton John and Sting mm. and Rod Stewart were being given enough so much money for just recording 10 songs that they were, you know, living on in gold rooms with gold yes, beds and gold absolutely. sofas. Maybe that was too far the other extreme. Maybe, yes. you know, the, the working musician now who maybe has a status of uh, a minstrel in uh, the Tudor times. Um you know, maybe that's that's yeah. somewhere where the, the the bar should be, rather than um, you know having sixteen uh, jets to your name, yeah, uh, depending agree. on your whim of the day. Yeah, I agree. And there's a, you talk about the pop activism movement. This is mm. really interesting, and I think people pop music nerds and it isn't just me lockdown i've found my fellow nerds amongst my friends and that we've set up little messenger groups and we kind of there's five of us that's just sort of fling pop questions at each other each day which is which is which is sort of very entertaining but i used to be when the charts still have relevance and that's another that's another thing here i i used to be if there were songs i heard on the radio for example that i thought were brilliant i used to feel really bad on behalf of bands if they had songs that should have been hits that weren't and it's interesting you mentioned the seals kiss from a rose earlier on i remember a song by a band called the ordinary boys called Boy, boys will be boys and i remember hearing it on the radio thinking god that's a massive sort of scar-esque indie pop tune it's going to be huge it was a great song and it didn't do anything. It went nowhere. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, that's that's really unlucky. The singer, Samuel Preston, also known as Preston, because, of course, the ordinary boys owe a lot to Morrissey and take a lot of influence from Morrissey. Hence why they named the, the, the name is a Morrissey reference and the singer using his first name as a kind of single name moniker. Mm. Again, also an influence. Uh, Preston, very sort of mod influence for Ed Perry's. Somewhat inexplicably, he went on Celebrity Big Brother in the mid to late noughties, I think it was. And they re-released Boys Will Be Boys as a result. And it was massive in the summer and was and everywhere. he got married and did, to one of his fellow yes, contestants. Yes, he did. And then they split up and then they might have got back together. Who knows? But anyway, he it was a top, I think it was a top five hit. It was huge. Certainly top ten. It was huge. And I remember thinking, well, you know, fair, in a way, sort of fair enough, really. I'm, I'm glad that the record got, got its kind of due, really. So I do, I, I do find this idea, this pop activism of albums that, were not loved at the time that were underappreciated at the time as sort of a, a, a campaign to get them relaunched and reappreciated although perhaps the offset to that is maybe they weren't appreciated at the time because they weren't very good so <laughs> so maybe they maybe they just maybe it was a meritocracy and maybe it just wasn't quite good enough to be appreciated i don't know it's 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 interesting because the pop activists uh you're almost taking on whenever you run a campaign like that you're almost taking on the role of a curator and that you're sort of saying and this is the only place in which i think this might fall down this pop activism i like the idea of championing records that you think were underappreciated there are lots of reasons why things don't don't hit the mark it can be it can be luck as much as judgment although having said that one of the poorest decisions i think of recent years was mint royale the band who've had a few things they had a, a version of singing in the rain that a young lad danced to on britain's got talent that was a huge hit and they've had you know a few things that have been quite big they had a lovely song in 2000 called don't 
Falter that was this beautiful, summery, shimmery anthem. Lauren Laverne, who was still just a sort of a presenter that had not long left Kanicki at that point, um, did a vocal on it that was lovely. It had a funny video of her working in the supermarket. It was it was really, really good. It was a proper feel-good sunshine anthem, and the record label released it in January, and it didn't really go anywhere. And it's such a stupid... I bet if that was re-released in the summer that would have been that probably would have been a number one it was it was irresistible so sometimes there's poor decision making at the at the end of sort of the the record company end i don't know but if you're curating and you're saying this was underappreciated you're you're sort of telling people that they were wrong weren't there you're sort of imposing your own taste on people and going oh well you know you were you weren't you know you were so stupid you weren't you weren't clever enough to appreciate this first time round have another go now i don't know to what to what extent it is it is you know genuinely sometimes pop music just gets just gets overlooked and it is always nice to shine a light on things i'm i'm more of that view but i get that there is a danger that you are coming into a shoving something in someone's face because you know they because you feel they were at fault for not appreciating it rather than necessarily i mean brother i could do that with don't falter by mint royale but actually i'm fairly sure that the mistake was not the general public the mistake was the record company for producing and releasing a summer anthem in january i mean it's it's daft really but I, I would get behind a campaign to get that re-released i must admit but um but yeah I, it's a fine line i think now these continue to be strange days uh, throughout the world so yes. we we thank you for joining us and hope we are all keeping hanging in there yes absolutely stay all of these stay alert keep well stay safe or just you know just 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 do the best that you can at the moment is my is my view i you know it's it's some days are really easy and some days are really hard and there's no rhythm to that and and you know just just do the best that you can is my is my saying at the moment and thank you so much for spending your time with us it's really lovely now before we find out about julia on the radio let's look at a review Um, (laughs) commonplace rather dull that hardly (laughs) seems to merit mentioning not of course a review of Juliet at all that was the review of the washington post the day after the beatles first appeared on the ed sullivan show in february 1964 <laughs> well i bet i'm in good company there and, and in fact the new york times said the beatles were after that appearance hoarsely incoherent well so, I mean, that is also me i have to say well i was going to say where can we find you being coherent and far from commonplace juliet well that is very kind of you to say so thank you you can find me on on tinternet radio um on my mixler channel if you go to the mixler website which is mixlr.com um my channel is julia you search my name juliet harris and that takes you to my channel i'll be broadcasting on it um we record this on um on broadcast day on saturday the 13th of june um unlucky for some hopefully not people listening to my radio program haha um you can hear me from five till seven this evening doing the saturday social which is northern soul uh mod motown uh um, you know traditional r&b that sort of thing or and or you can also hear me on a sunday evening from seven till nine doing my smooth sailing show which is feel good kind of yacht rock uh classic pop smooth music mor that sort of thing easy listening they're they're two very different beasts but if you like to do a bit of listening this weekend you can also go on to my mixer profile again the channel is juliet harris and uh the showreel tab has all my old shows that i upload um after it on there so after i finish them on there so so lots of listening for you to do there and uh, thank you once again terence for your continued support in my endeavors <laughs> good well they're both terrific shows um and now to play us out oh look it's polly jean Indeed, it's been a while since I uh, since I introduced my uh, uh, quote unquote friend Polly Jean um, onto this podcast. PJ Harvey herself. I was talking to a, a, to someone on Twitter the other day who um, saw someone that was very close to their name on TV, and I was reminded of the time that uh, that I ser- when I was working for Marks and Spencer as a teenager, I served a customer at work, and they gave me their card. And I, you know, when you were serving customers and it was very busy, you often didn't sort of t- take people in properly. And I looked at the card as I was about to scan 
scan it into the machine and it said PK Harvey on it. And I have to say, I, I did look up and double check. And equally, a, a friend of mine working in a bank somewhere uh, doing some IT fitting said once that he heard a, he heard, overheard a conversation with someone saying, yes, who do you want it made out to the check? And a, a well-spoken female voice said PJ Harvey, please. And uh, as my friend put it, I've never got up so fast in my life, but it wasn't her. It was someone else. But, um, but this is very much the one and only real Polly Jean Harvey, PJ Harvey. Um, much, much good news about the fact that her, for me anyway, that they are finally reissuing uh, expanded, mastered ver- remastered versions of all of her albums, which is great because I think the first two albums weren't mastered very well. So, so really pleased about this. Um, also pleased at the amount of people that sent me the same news announcement because they thought of me. That was very nice. Um, they're re-releasing the first album she made called Dry. The initial run of Dry on vinyl in the uh, in '92 when it was first released um, had a, a a secondary kind of a bonus disc of demos called Demonstration. There are only five thousand of those made, and they go for put it this way: I regret not buying one for fifty-five pounds in the early noughties because they now go for somewhere in the region of three hundred pounds, which is is pretty jaw-dropping. But you can now buy this re or you should soon can shortly buy this reissued version, which I think is great. We were quite excited about the fact that the week before this was announced she posts she's an infrequent social media user and she posted a picture on her instagram and all of her social media channels of c90 cassettes with handwritten names of songs on them and my friend went do you think this is a reissue uh, campaign and i went oh why else would pj harvey be digging tapes out of a shoebox and it turns out they were absolutely right but i'm really looking forward to hearing all these reissues and, and the demos I, I can't wait it's a, a good good you know good to, for her to look back i think at this time and you know given that she hates looking back you know if pj harvey is looking back at this old time why not the rest of us follow away so i'm going to play this of which i absolutely love from dry this is dress
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. Mm-hmm.